If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Ephesians 4, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body from the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being fast feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus." that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness and lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let, us, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, that, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart truth to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered here to worship you this morning. We stand before you because we know you are a gracious God. You bless us and make your face to shine upon us. You do this to make your ways known on earth and your salvation among men. Open our ears to hear your word. You declare that our faith comes from hearing your word, and the word is heard through the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So give us ears to hear, for we ask this in Christ's name. Now you may notice this chapter begins with the word, therefore. It marks a major division in this letter. Like most of Paul's letters, it can be divided into two sections. The first section consists of the first three chapters which laid down a doctrinal foundation for the church. The apostle unfolded and revealed the great essential doctrines of Christianity. He gave everything vital to, to understand the salvation promised in Jesus Christ. I don't believe there is a greater presentation of these truths that can be found that beats this one in Ephesians. But now, having completed that part, Paul turns to the application of these great truths to the lives of believers. There is a caution we should consider at this point. While Paul does not make, while Paul does make a, a change here, and it's not, a, it is a very clear and undisputed change, we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to overpress the mark. Paul never indulges in absolute divisions. He has, complete, has not completely left his teaching of doctrine behind. He shows that you cannot separate doctrine and practice. What he shows is that you cannot have application without something to apply. So, as he presents how you should live out this Christian life, he's constantly revisiting the doctrine because that is what he's applying. Unity in the church is a much maligned term these days. People want to talk about the church being unified. But when you start pressing them on how they, the, that unity is going to come about, it's always centered in what they want to accomplish. Paul is not talking about an experiential unity. This move to, be, to a broad evangelicalism today is centered in an experiential unity. They call the call in this experiential unit is to draw everyone into a group of shared experiences as opposed to a shared doctrinal group. The unity Paul is talking about here is centered in the first word of chapter four, therefore. This therefore harkens back to all of the doctrinal teaching Paul has done in the first three chapters of this book. It is because of these great truths that have been revealed that we must come together in unity. We come in these truths, not in how we're to carry out the work of the church. The work of the church will take care of itself if we will study, learn, and preach the great foundational doctrines. If each believer will make these truths the backbone of his everyday life. The Reformation was brought on by a time when the scriptures had been neglected and the preaching of the word was not heard. The unity of the church of that day was in her works and not in God's word. Our unity is to be in God's word in the truths it teaches. 
The only way we can have such unity is to recognize the sufficiency of the word. God gave his word. He gave it to instruct Christians how to live their lives and to please him. Paul lays lays out in these first three chapters the foundation for their lives. Now, in chapter 4, he turns to tell you how to take these great doctrinal truths and make them active and an integral part of your life. He wants them to come to the scripture to find how they are to live, how they can face each and every hurdle in this life. There is no part of their lives that cannot be directed by God's word. Please understand that. There's an answer for you about everything in God's word. Too many people today will give a verbal commitment to God's word, but when you point them to God's word in dealing with a struggle in their lives, They refuse to listen. They don't want to hear what God's word has to say. They don't want to give up this idea of personal freedom we have so dangerously perpetrated in this country. They declare the word is fine as long as it doesn't tell me what to do. In this chapter and through the rest of the book, Paul takes this attitude head on. If you don't want to face the truth of how a believer should live his personal life, then you might better want to stay away the next month or so. But if you desire, if you desire to know how to apply these truths in your everyday life, then just move up to the front and fasten your seatbelts. I'll promise you this. It will not always be easy to take, but it will always produce results in that if you listen and apply it, It will cause you to draw closer to God. Now our text for this morning is the first three verses of chapter 4. This morning Paul starts with the need for all believers to come together in unity. To come together in the unity of all he has already laid out. His first admonition is that we should all be worthy. Second, he calls us to be humble. And last, he says we must be peaceful. The sufficiency of Scripture is a very important doctrine. To those in the Reformed faith, it is the foundational doctrine without which we would all be lost. The whole idea of the Reformation was to let the church be reformed by Scripture to get rid of all of the superstitions, go back to standing on God's Word and on God's Word only. We have just spent a number of weeks looking at the first three chapters of this letter. In these chapters, Paul has laid out this glorious understanding of the great doctrines of redemption. He is now ready to help make these doctrines real in our everyday lives. In the last verses of chapter 3, he prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He also prayed that you might be rooted and established in love. He prayed these things for all believers that they might have power. His desire was that you could understand how wide, long, deep, and high is the love of Christ. My friends, Paul wants you to know the unsurpassing riches of Christ Jesus. He wants these truths he has related to you to work in your everyday lives. So many today want to hear the truth, but they cannot really, they don't really want it to affect how they live their 
live what they do and say and, and be what they are. They come to church and give verbal agreement to all that is said, and then they go out and promptly forget what to do. It's like the guy that was going to paint his house. He went and bought the paint, set it on the back porch, got him a brush and a, a, a pan, filled it up with water, and started painting his house. He forgot what he was going to put, apply to it. He left the paint sitting there in the can. You don't want to do that with your doctrine. It's not any good if you leave it sitting there in the can. Paul says, no, you can't do that and call yourself one of God's children. The word of God must be sufficient to guide you not only in thinking about theology, but also in living that theology out. Nothing is more dangerous to, the, to believers than the pulling of verses from their proper context and using them to justify their own actions. This letter was not written with chapters and verses. The chapters and verses were added just to help you find things. It was written as a whole and therefore must be studied as a whole. Paul wants you to take the theological understanding of justification by faith he's laid out and apply that in every situation you face in this life. You got your doctrine. You're holding on to it. You begin to apply it in your life in any way you need to. In verse 1, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul begins with this, therefore. Therefore, with all this doctrinal understanding I have laid down, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and a prisoner on your behalf, because of my faithfulness to these truths, have some more to tell you. There's more to come. He calls you to walk worthy of this great calling you have received. Now you can substitute holy for the word worthy if you want to. After all of the doctrine he laid out in chapter 2 about the unworthy condition of men, doesn't this sound funny? It sounds a little strange to me. It sounds if, if you did not listen to this teaching on grace. That's what's going to bring the heart of your doctrine the life is the understanding of God's grace. Yes, man is unworthy of receiving anything from God. But Paul told us that by God's grace, you were made into a new creation. He said your heart was changed. The Holy Spirit was given to you to enable you to hear God's word and obey his commands. Here is the first step in living in these great doctrinal truths he has given. Jesus Christ came. He died on Calvary's cross to make possible your worthiness, to make possible your holiness. You could never earn your own worth before God, so he earned it for you and gave to you what you could never attain on your own. Paul says now that you have this great and precious gift, walk in it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You still are not earning from God anything. You are working hard not to earn from God, but to thank him and show him your appreciation for this marvelous grace that saved a worthless sinner like yourself. You were called out of the darkness and hopelessness of sin by God's grace and made a part of his kingdom by the work and atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
you are now, by the same power that saved you, being molded into the image of Jesus Christ. Peter called you in the same way to be holy because God is holy. This is a part of your calling that you will now live your life according to the commands of God. This is not a legalistic regimen, but a response of love. That's why Paul says in chapter 3 that you are being rooted and established in love. You are called by all of these great doctrinal truths to be worthy before God. The essence of this worthiness is found in having faith in God's word and applying its truths to your everyday life. You don't want to be like the man who had all of this knowledge and no love. The love comes in the application of the knowledge to life. Please understand. The doctrine that underlies this, the doctrine that gives you the ability to make this, is a reality in your life, is in the sufficiency of Scripture. You can find it in Scripture. You can take that doctrine of Scripture and use it to apply your your, to your life, the, the truths that you need to live this life in a godly way. To be enabled to apply this truth of God's word <clears throat> means holding that word in the highest esteem and studying it properly. Where do you hold God's word? What are you doing with it? Is it sitting on your shelf at home, driven in dust? You need to get it off, blow it off, and start reading it. It means I am saying my theology comes from Scripture. And I will change whatever I find my theology is not full in full accord with Scripture. The Scripture is what's going to guide you. That's what's bringing you the truth of God's Word. It also says that I will change my life's practices when I find they don't line up with my theology. This all goes back to unity in the church. When we each have this philosophy and desire to be in perfect union with Scripture, we shall find ourselves in better tune with one another. Paul says, therefore, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, be worthy of what God has called you into, his kingdom. The next thing Paul calls believers to be is humble. The world has a rather perverted idea of humility. Like the lady who after church told her pastor about a preacher she had recently heard. She said he was so humble. He preached in such a way as to make her feel so good about herself. Then she said, that's what's missing in your sermons. People have the idea that humility means taking no stand at all. Holding to nothing strongly. And this always makes other people feel good about themselves. It's like the I'm okay, you're okay thing. This is a totally wrong concept of biblical humility. Yes, humility does say we recognize about ourselves our unworthiness. But when we put that beside the teaching of Scripture, we learn that believing in Christ gives us his worth. He was humble, and now we can be humble. The Bible says Moses was a very humble man. Remember the rock about Moses? Yet, we see Moses challenging Pharaoh and not backing down. We see him face the mobs when the children of Israel were discouraged. 
We see him, see him stand up to those who would fight against him. Not once does he back down. The world wants to see this and call it arrogance. To the lady who heard what she wanted to hear from the first pastor, found in the second pastor's preaching what she saw as arrogance because his preaching called her to make changes in her life, which the other pastor didn't ask her to do. To be truly humble, one must know what he believes in and must be unashamed to declare it and continue to trust in Christ. Christ call, was called humble and meek. He was humble because he didn't waver in what he believed. He was meek in that he knew where his power originated and did not need to defend himself. Verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, the essence of this verse can be summed up in one command. Be humble. Paul gives you the truth you need to stand in this humility. Remember chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined to us adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Remember chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Anyone, anyone who hears these words and believes them in their heart will know that their salvation was not by anything they had or did, but was totally by God's grace. My friends, if this doesn't humble you, nothing ever will. This is the humility Paul calls you to. Come and understand you had absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as he says in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it was not of yourselves, but it was the gift of God. The reason it was necessary for him to admonish you, to remember to be humble, is because of the idea the world holds concerning worth. He called you to be holy, to be worthy. What does the world do when it feels worthy about itself? Our old human nature loves to feel worthy, doesn't it? When we do, we get more and more arrogant and begin to think we are as we are because what we inherently deserved it. God must have given me all I have because of how good I am. We begin to look down our noses at those who don't have what we have, don't have as much as we have. They must have done something wrong. We become very class conscious. And then what happens to our class, our witness as a believer? Goes out the window. Flits away. James warned the early church about this. He told them not to treat the rich better than the poor. Not because there was anything wrong with a man having wealth. But because it showed no understanding that before God, both the rich and the poor were in need of God's word. Humility, as Paul calls you to it, is the continuing recognition of your unworthy state before God, apart from the grace he's offered in Jesus Christ. 
You need to ever remember your salvation was a gift of his grace. You need to remember that your sanctification is what his grace and your glorification will be an act of his free grace. None of these things is accomplished, enhanced, or augmented by your works. This is what should keep you humble and gentle toward others. It is only as we come together with this humility and gentleness that we can be of help to each other. He says, we must also be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is said simply to strengthen what he has already called you to do. If you're humble and recognize that your salvation is in the Lord and in him alone, then you will surely have more patience with those who are struggling just as you have struggled yourself. Do you remember your struggles? We all had them. We all struggled. We all needed help to get through times. That's what Christianity is calling us to be, is a help to one another, a witness to those who are lost, and a guide to those who have salvation. This is said simply to strengthen us. If you're humble and recognize that your salvation is in the Lord and in him alone, then you will surely have more patience with those who are struggling, just as you once have struggled. Excuse me. However, if you get the idea you have earned all of this by your own strength, then you will begin to put such burdens on others that they will be lost because they can't carry them. You ever been in a legalistic situation? That's exactly what they do. They pile more and more on you, even though you can't handle what little you've already got. People begin to think, if I could do it, anybody can. So they make rules and regulations, forgetting that they won't struggle to follow even the simplest commands of Scripture. Only if, only if you remember the struggles and the help you received, will you be able to stay humble and be gentle and patient with others. Then you will be able to hear with other believers when they are struggling. My friends, Paul is calling believers to do to understand God's plan of redemption and the wonderful mystery of the church. So please, please listen to his admonition and remember his teaching on how you are saved and let it mold you into a humble man of God. Along with this, Paul calls you to be peaceful. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You need to recognize that the main idea of salvation is the reuniting of men to God. You got that? That's the whole purpose of salvation. Reuniting those who are lost to God. It's taking those who have rebelled, who have fallen from God's glory, and reestablishing them with a relationship with their Creator. Chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of His glory. In Him... You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's this unity in Christ. 
bringing Jew and Gentile together into Christ that he says is the mystery of the church of our Lord. From this you should see the great need to preserve this unity through how you live your life. You must come to be at peace with what you believe and how you live. I know that's not easy. That's the hard part. When you have to start making those decisions for yourself, but you've got to have Scripture behind you when you do it. If you're holding to Scripture and you're studying Scripture, you will have the strength to apply that Scripture to your life. The most important facet in finding and living in this bond of peace is having the unity of the Holy Spirit. Who is it that opens the scriptures to your understanding? It's the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 tells us, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Without the spirit, you will never know the truth and be able to apply it in your life through love. Therefore, it's extremely important that you know the Spirit and that he resides in your heart. It is this fact that is forgotten by so many in the church today. Consequently, most modern talk of unity is entirely unscriptural. I don't know what they're talking about. It is nothing more than the imagination of man developing something that is a pseudo-unity, something that pleases them, not God. The unity Paul is speaking of can come only through the work of God's Spirit. Man cannot produce this unity. In fact, God never asked us to perfect the unity of our own. Paul is asking us here to use caution to see that the unity given us by the Spirit is not disturbed. It's our responsibility to live in this unity. The Spirit of God establishes it and spreads it through the hearts of men. It is not some kind of mechanical thing men can just do by rote. It's an organic unity. It's a living in the truths revealed in the Word of God. As we strive to live in the truths Paul and other other writers of Scripture have given us, we grow in this unity. This again goes back to the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. As we understand that we are sinners lost and without hope, cut off from God in his glory, as we see our sinfulness and recognize our need of divine help in escaping hell, we are drawn to Jesus Christ in his perfect life, atoning death and resurrection victory. Where have we found this, these glorious truths in his word? God has given us this plan of redemption and with it, his plan for our lives. The truths revealed in God's word touch every area of our lives. We are guided into these truths by the spirit and made aware of how we can apply them in every situation we find ourselves. Our unity with God and with each other revolves around the teaching of scripture. We are united in what scripture teaches. Doctrine is extremely important in the life of true believers because without it, without it, they have nothing in which to be united. The only unity we can have is with God through his word. Paul says this unity of the spirit comes through the bond of peace. The bond of peace is your salvation in Jesus Christ. 
He is the one who came into this world to make peace with the Heavenly Father for all who would believe and trust in him. Christ has destroyed the enmity between you and the Father. Therefore, Paul calls you to be peaceful. He calls you to stand fast in the bond of peace. He calls you to be worthy, to be humble, and to be peaceful. You must come to Jesus Christ recognizing that you are an unworthy sinner, but because of Christ's work, you can come to him receiving his worth. You must come to his, this worth with humility, understanding it was because of nothing in you that you received it, but all because of his good pleasure and will. You must come resting at peace in the knowledge that one, that none of this was because of your own efforts, but entirely because of God's grace. To do this, you have to come to Scripture and understand it is the Word of God and totally sufficient to show you the way. Paul has given us in these first three chapters a clear review of God's plan of redemption. Now he is going to take us through the application of these truths in our everyday lives. Are you ready? Are you ready to jump in there and hear about it, to apply it to your life? If you are, I call you as Paul has clear, my, clear, your, has clear your mind and heart and trust in anything but Jesus Christ. You can't trust anything else. It's not your church. It's not your pastor. It's not your works. It's Christ and Christ alone. You must be willing to allow the word to penetrate every area of your life and change it. If you are not ready to do that, I call you to search your hearts carefully. What is it that's holding you back? Ask yourself that question. What's holding me back? Why am I being stubborn here? Why can't I move forward? Paul has given a good review of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He made it clear that men are sinners lost in the darkness of selfishness and rebellion. He has shown that there is only one way out of this darkness, and that's through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has shown that rebellion is grounded in loneliness, while salvation is a bringing together of people into union with Christ and one another. If you are tired of the loneliness and darkness of sin, there is a way out. There is hope. That hope is found only in Jesus Christ. No other way. If you will open your ears and listen, if you will open your hearts and believe and repent, turn from those sins, I can assure you, he will respond with, and will draw you into himself where you will never again be lonely or fearful of the darkness of rebellion. Place your hope and trust in Christ. Take this doctrine that is given us in the first three chapters, which is doctrine of our salvation, and apply it to your lives and begin to live in it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning because we know you are from everlasting to everlasting. You have told us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, the desire of our hearts is to know and understand what Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, has done for us. 
Thank you for helping us grow in that understanding. We love and appreciate all you have done for us. In Christ's name, amen. You would take your hymnals.